are you doing on keeping your New Year's resolutions? Assuming that one of those was to become a dedicated listener to this podcast, I think you're doing just great. I've never been a huge resolution person, but I know for a lot of folks, New Year's resolutions are a big deal. New Year, new you, right? But when it comes to the healthy changes we desire to make on January 1st, it helps us keep them well on through July 1st. Well, Virginia Tech's Samantha Harden was kind enough to answer that very question. Samantha is an associate professor of human nutrition, foods, and exercise at Virginia Tech, as well as the director of the Physical Activity Research and Community Implementation Lab. She's also the exercise specialist with Virginia Cooperative Extension and the host of her own podcast, Higher Vibrations in Higher Education. Samantha shared her thoughts on New Year's resolutions and provided some guidance on how individuals can develop intentions that really align with their authentic selves. We chatted about what helps folks stick to the healthy changes that they desire to make in their lives, as well as what are some of the resources that people can tap into through Virginia Cooperative Extension. So whether you're right on track with where you desire to be, or maybe you've fallen off a little bit, I think you'll find some research-based encouragement in this episode. I'm Travis Williams, and you're listening to Virginia Tech's Curious Conversations. I'm really curious, what do you maybe not like so much about the idea of New Year's resolutions? Yeah, so... um I am a person living in a female body, but I am also very uh, masculine in terms of my like resolve and my aggression and my like desire to get things done. And I think that that's where the term resolution was really brought out of. Um, but as I've started to embrace more of like the sacred feminine divine, finding out the rich history of setting New Year's intentions um, in many different cultures that embraced kind of opening up to the new year, um, being in flow, really acknowledging what we're already doing well and letting go of what we don't want to bring into the new season has a very different texture and flavor than to resolve to be better or different or do something that you're not already doing. So to me, just looking at the language and how it lands is kind of the first step is to kind of let go of the New Year's resolutions and instead think about your New Year's intention. How do you want to align with your most authentic self when you think about who you want to be and really values aligned? What are the behaviors and patterns and environment that you're in that help you feel like your best self um, so that you can give from the overflow? So it's not just a self-centered component. It really is like, how do you fill up from within so that you can give to others? And I think a New Year's resolution is often, how can you be more productive at your job? Or how can you earn or make or do? And I would rather think about how can you just be? Wow. That's, that's what I never really kind of, I've never really thought about it. Uh, in that way, I think I generally kind of do get in the thinking habit of like, what do I either want to start or stop in the next year? (laughs) Yeah. And I would say that's most people. And that's how we kind of set ourselves up for failure because we're, we're looking at, you know, December 30th to January 2nd of what you're going to resolve to do instead of thinking about, what is, what is the season of life that I'm in and what supports do I need? Um, it can be a start or stop of something, but it just comes from a different angle or lens um, with this kind of intention setting instead of resolving to do. It has m- less determination and more um, giving and flowing. 
I'm curious from your perspective as a, like a behavioral psychologist, what's the science behind what makes us maybe stick to some of those healthy life changes we want to make? Yeah. So I think it, one of the biggest things is understanding your why. So how I kind of came back to, you know, intention or resolution, whatever you want to call it, just tuning in with the why, because often we're saying, I want to be healthier. Um, and whatever that means for you, right? Because some people are already what others might consider the epitome of health, but they still want to do better or more or something different. But really tuning into your why helps really ground so that it can be a behavior that can last for hopefully a lifetime, right? So we don't want to just be active um, for the sake of being active. Maybe some people do, but we were not evolutionarily meant to exercise in the form that we typically think about it now, right? We evolved to use technology and community so that we can be more sedentary. So it is so challenging to fight our evolution, our evolutionary desire of resting and conserving energy and instead saying, I need to be physically active. So we want to get to 150 minutes of aerobic activity and two days of full body strength training for most adults. For youth, we want to be structured physical activity for 60 minutes a day with three days of muscle strengthening. And I only share that because this comes back to the why. If I'm saying, well, I need to get more muscle strengthening days in my week. Is that because of a recommendation? That's not really a great motivator, but maybe being able to keep up with my kids or be able to easily put groceries away or be able to tie my shoes or drive my vehicle, right? When we think about our aging adults, when you no longer have the strength to even press a pedal or a brake, that can lead to you not being able to live independently longer. So, when you think about your why, think about you as a person walking this lifetime, not about necessarily the guidelines. I've never met a participant or a client who's like, my why is because I want to meet the guidelines. The why is always about something that's actually going to impact your day-to-day -day life. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I've never met that, that person either. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've never I've never been that person, despite how much they hammered uh, some of those guidelines into us in like middle school. And yeah. it was like, you have to do this visa and reach. And if you yeah. can't, if you can't do it, you're not in the presidential society of whatever that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I remember that too. And I, I was always very flexible, but I hated running and, and we had to like run around and get the popsicle sticks. And I'd be like, give me your popsicle stick. I don't want to do it. So, you know, again, um, to, to your example, if we're doing it to meet guidelines or to get the presidential award of fitness, that's an external or extrinsic motivator. We have to have our internal or intrinsic motivators, the things that will really get us up in the morning to be more active. And, and one of my hopes is that more people see movement as a choice instead of a chore. Like the blessing and the ability to move in your body is, is such a, such, so many people can't do that. So instead of thinking it as, this is something else that's on my to-do list. It's it's my get-to-do list. By fueling myself, I'm able to then do all of the other things. The other thing is we're talking about um, physical activity behaviors, um, but you know, in my lab, the Physical Activity Research and Community Implementation or PARSI Laboratory, we're really looking at physical activity as a vehicle for holistic well-being called flourishing. 
I, again, don't know many people who are out there saying the why behind my why is to meet these recommendations. No, it's so that I can feel like I can get through the dark days so that I have a good quality of life so that I can connect with others so that I can find joy. Um, so I have meaning and purpose. And so these are things that that motivate people a lot more than this um, guidelines or guidance for people to meet and then continuously fall short of. So I think I'll also circle back to your question specifically about why do we fail? And it's because, A, we don't have our anchor point in what motivates us truly. And B, is sometimes it just becomes really overwhelming. If you're somebody who's consuming zero or one cups of fruits and vegetables a day, and then you're going to try to jump to five to 10, that can feel really overwhelming. So we need to meet ourselves where we are. And that's, again, where I talked about that intention of what's my environment? What are my behaviors? What supports do I need? And how can I make these slow incremental steps towards a healthy lifestyle? Instead of thinking January 1, that's the, that's the start date, you know, put the gas pedal down and let's go, we're going to run out of steam. Yeah, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. I always, uh, I've met a lot of people that are like January 1st, I'm going to start doing this. And they do that for like two weeks. And I'm like, why don't, why don't you start that today? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing the next two weeks? <laughs> yeah, the holidays are really challenging from a research perspective. We often really encourage people to not recruit individuals at this time, um, unless that's the intention of your study, um, would be to equip people um, before the holidays. Because I, I, like you, hear people all the time say, oh, you know, January me will start that and whatnot. And it's like, well, guess what? January is still going to be dark and cold and busy and fast. And you're, you might also have um, financial woes from making it through uh, external uh, expectations of what the holidays look like or cost or feel like. Um, and so now you have like the financial constraint. And that's also part of the flourishing index, right? When you don't feel financially stable, you might not have the motivation or think that you can afford to um, decline the next DoorDash so that you can go to the gym because you're always trying to make more money. So these things are interrelated. They're always going to be. And so I just use that as a brief example, right? Because we're always doing a cost benefit analysis. And so it's like, do I, do I try to earn more money or do I take the time out to go uh, be purposefully active or to exercise? Um, and what is that going to cost me? And people are weighing that all the time. So is is what you're describing, is that, and I, I, I apologize, I, I think I either read this or I heard this somewhere, like a socioeconomic model or? Eco yeah, this, the socioecologic model is, um, there's a couple different iterations of it, but basically if you picture um, kind of the nesting dolls or uh, uh uh, circles embedded within each other, you have yourself. And, and so you have the individual level, your motivations, your values, your needs, um, and some of your genetic composition. Then you are an individual within a family that has its own values and experiences and expectations and characteristics. And that family exists within a community, that community exists within larger infrastructure and organizations and then policy. And so um, I love that you brought this up because a lot of what I've been talking about is at the individual level, right? That 
intrapersonal dialogue. But one of the things we do know is that when your community is more active, you are more likely to be active. If your community does not smoke or vape, you are more likely to not smoke or vape. If you are someone who eats a plant-based diet, you're most likely to socialize with people who lean uh, somewhere on that plant-based diet spectrum. And so um, we know that uh, personality and characteristics of the people that we want to belong to and belong with really influence us. One of the seminal articles from Baumeister and Leary, my favorite quote, well, not my favorite quote, but a good quote is that all people have an inherent need to belong. And so we shift our behavior so that we quote unquote belong um, or so that we have a perception of belonging. And so when, when you find uh, groups of teens that are really active they have a, a whole community around being active. And so that interpersonal then influences um, your community's desire, um, what we call in Virginia Cooperative Extension uh, and in other spaces, PSE, policy system and environmental approaches. So I'm looking out my window and I'm seeing, you know, we have connected sidewalks everywhere near my building. Um, but that's not the case when you go just up the road to Christiansburg, Virginia, when compared to Blacksburg, Virginia. And so we have, you know, walking indexes and things like that to share, you know, how walkable or wheelable is your community. So we need to think about um, connectivity and safety and spaces because it's not just do you want to be active, it's is there a place for you to be active? And I'll end with one um, other note on the PSE front because people will say, oh, well, if you don't have a sidewalk to work out on, just like put, uh, put a, a, a DVD on or a YouTube and okay, DVD, no one's recommending DVDs, but they'll say, um, you know, just watch a YouTube or whatever. But then you're not, again, thinking about the context. So there are individuals that live in rural areas like myself, and I still have satellite. I don't have streaming internet as quickly as I might want to. And when we first moved, it was like, oh, I'm draining the internet. So I wouldn't dare, again, that cost benefit. I wouldn't dare drain the internet that we need for work to work out. So people are making these decisions all the time. And when people are not putting themselves in other people's seats, they're not understanding the complexity and the dynamic nature of these decisions that we have to make all the time. So when you have an environment that supports healthful decisions or what we call making the healthy choice, the default choice, you're more likely to be able to be more healthy, more active, et cetera. Yeah, that's great because I was going to ask you what some of the other factors and support systems were that are beneficial to people, but I feel like you answered that. And I'm sorry that I, I kind of butchered that term uh, oh, trying to explain okay. it. Well, I wrote it down, but I, as a classic me, I wrote it down and I couldn't read what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, people often just call it the SEM, so then you don't even have to know what it stands for. That sounds very much uh, like a research thing. Let's give it an <laughs> acronym. Um well, you kind of mentioned uh, a little bit uh, the name uh, extension, Virginia Cooperative Extension. I'm curious, what role do you have with uh, Virginia Cooperative Extension and, and how, how might people tap into extension in ways that they may not even realize that they could? I, I get this question a lot. Um, so uh, Cooperative Extension is available in every state and territory in the U.S., it's a federally funded system that also has partial funds at the state and county level. 
So if you are living uh, in the United States, you have access to your extension system. Extension really has a rich history in agriculture. Not surprising because we're funded through the United States Department of Agriculture. And what happened was uh, really what extension is, if you think about extending, um, the university developed information to the community. So it started with people going onto farms and sharing different crop and soil practices um, and, and those types of things when more people lived in rural communities. And what happened was when these agents, these cooperative extension agents were going out into the field and having those conversations on the farm, the householder would often come out of the, the home and say, who's here? Why, why are they here? Where are they coming from? So, oh, they're from the university. They're here to give us some tips and tricks. Well, I could use some tips and tricks. And that's how Family and Consumer Sciences was born. So then multiple agents would go to the farm and talk about how to do food safety and handling, canning, all of these things that really were kind of coming full circle to. Um, Extension is about 100 years old. And uh, it's interesting to think how many people are looking for how do I do you know, canning? How do I have a small garden? How do I get to be more efficient and have richer, nutrient-richer foods at my fingertips? And it it's a skill, and it also requires time. Um, so extension is available to help build those skills in the community. Now, as we mentioned at the top of the call, I'm the exercise specialist. So when I was hired, I was here to say, okay, yes, we want to have uh, our nutritious dietary patterns, but we also want to balance that with being physically active. And we really have a lot of, you know, um, the uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have a campaign called Move Your Way. So this is not about you know, going to the gym, lifting weights, if that's your way, you do that thing. But if you want to get your movement by throwing a Frisbee with your dog and gardening and pulling weeds every day, um, that's movement too. So really trying to rephrase again, like what's exercise, what's physical activity and what's the purpose of each and how are you embracing that and fitting that into your daily routines as well. So that's extension. Um, and you can tap into them by uh, going to the, the website. We have our programs. And then if you're in a specific county, specifically if you're tuning in in Virginia, you can uh, search for your county representatives and um, see what kinds of programming um, that they're offering as well. Many of the agents and specialists are trying to be more active on social media. So check there as well. And then just kind of the national cooperative extension as well. Um, and I will just plug as either research partners or to actually receive um, intervention as well. So extensions here for anything and everything. And you don't have to be a farmer to use it, right? You don't even have to be a farmer. <laughs> that, that should be their new tagline. Yes, that could be. Yeah, that could be the 2024 campaign. You don't even have to be a farmer. <laughs> so I know we started at the beginning of this conversation talking about resolutions. I'm not going to ask you about that because we've already talked some about it, but I'm curious what are you most excited about looking into a new year? Oh, that shouldn't be such a tough question. I'm feeling it. Um, uh, I, I do a lot of reflection towards the end of the year. Um, I do a lot of intention setting and um, kind of ritual and, and devotion into, you know, where is my energy and what do I want to do? Um, I earned tenure in 2020. 
um, which was a challenging time because for any academic also listening, um, I kept thinking like, as soon as I get tenure, I'll come off the break or come off the gas pedal um, and just kind of like give myself some some breathing room. And, and that didn't happen because we were, as many people, um, transitioning our entire research program to virtual spaces and trying to get students still graduated. It was, you know, um, work wise and personally, uh, you know, a challenging time. And then I went on sabbatical for six months and it was glorious but I don't feel like I came up with like my next five-year plan. So my intention um, uh, after this week is to set up a um, five-year plan, knowing that I have no control over anything, but just kind of a, a, a five-year plan for, for my lab and redefining what success will look like um, in terms of physical activity promotion through Virginia Cooperative Extension. And we are uh, going to launch a yoga teacher training for Cooperative Extension agents because I believe that yoga is one practice if we look at the public health kernels of breathing, movement, and moment-to-moment awareness those align with so many different scientific fields. And if we learn how to practice those in ways that are equitable and accessible um, and feasible and practical and all these other things, then I think more people will be flourishing in their lives. And I think cooperative extension agents can be the extending arm of that. Um, So we're really excited to launch that in 2024. Thanks to Samantha for sharing her insights as to how we can stick to the positive changes we desire to make in the new year, as well as some of the resources available to us through Virginia Cooperative Extension. If you or someone you know would make for a great curious conversation, email me at traviskw at vt.edu. I'm Travis Williams, and this has been Virginia Tech's Curious Conversations.